Welcome back to Best Hour of Their Day. Hope you had an enjoyable Memorial Day. Maybe you hit Murph. Hopefully you didn't blow out your nutrition too badly. But I'm very excited to present to you my interview with Pat Barber, CrossFit OG. Pat Barber's been around a long time. He's been a coach for most of his life at this point, and he drops some knowledge and some great advice for all of you looking to improve as a coach, but we also talk about his trips to the CrossFit Games, his company with his wife, Taz, as well as you know being on the cover of Every Second Counts, the first ever CrossFit movie. Go check it out. I believe it's on Netflix, actually, or YouTube, but super excited. Hope you enjoy. Pat Barber is a fun, chill dude, and this is a great chat, great interview, and I'm excited for you guys to listen. Here we go. But right. I think uh, I think starting starting off a conversation with you with our history talking about circumcision sounds to be seems to be the best idea. Especially as you're chopping vegetables on a chopping block right next to McGrundle. Yes. Okay. So I hit the record button for those just tuning in. Let me give you a little introduction. The reason I'm asking Pat is these questions is because not only does he run warm up and workout with his wife Taz, but you also have a podcast, The Tribe Life, with your wife, and you talk a lot about all things family and children. Mm-hmm. So I asked you about vaccines, and then I started. Mm-hmm. we started to talk about circumcision, and mm-hmm. you were giving me your answer before you cut out. Yeah, my answer was just that like there is no reason for it. It's like one of those things where if you think about it a little bit more logically, um, the 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 only the only studies on it are like I think later in life once kids become sexually active there's a a slightly higher risk of transmitting uh, an STD um, and you know I think that with the education that I will give my children around sex and STDs and you know doing the right thing around suiting up and making that happen I I think I'm willing to take the risk rather than have one of the first experiences of a new infant's life, a human being uh, cutting around their penis. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't remember it, but that doesn't mean there's not trauma, like being serious. I right, I, I agree. a documentary about an athlete who all of his trauma throughout his life wound up causing him to have to retire early because he couldn't play his sport anymore. Um, wow. I'm sure there's like, you know, there's trauma in our brain that we just couldn't digest, if you will, at that young age. So, right. It's like, it's pretty funny because people are like, oh yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's no issue there. They don't, you know, there's no, there's no trauma. It's like, how can you say that? Like a a baby's brain is so powerful. You know, it, it, when you, when you have them, you learn how, like how intelligent they really are. And it's, it's wild. So like the idea that, I mean, the kid can't tell you other than the fact that it screams like crazy. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it's a funny subject for me because obviously I'm biased. I'm not circumcised and I didn't circumcise any of my kids. Um, but at the same time, I like, I think pretty rationally and logically, and it just doesn't follow a logical pattern of like, yep, chop the dick. Cause like later in life, you can just, you can just do that. Right. Like yeah. it, say, say you really wanted it. Say you had a, a an issue later in life. You just go, cool. I'm going to go in and get it done. And they're like, yeah, it's way more painful. It's like, not way more painful. It's just you can vocalize it now. <laughs> yeah, and 
you know, when I, at least as far as I know, like I said, I don't remember when I got it done, you know, Jewish people do it. I think it's seven days after birth and they don't put any Novocaine on you. Back then it was oh, just no. like they put some whiskey on your gums or whatever and Whew. literally cut your penis. And yeah, well, that's another topic, but let me give you a little more of an introduction. Most people listening to this podcast will recognize Pat Barber from the cover of the Every Seconds Count DVD. <laughs> and maybe from your you know warm up and workout which we'll talk about you were also flow master on the level one and level two seminars scene and you've just been involved in yes, CrossFit for a very long period of time and you may not even remember this but in 2008 I showed up and took my level two at Santa Cruz and you came in and hit Fran that day and you threw down like a two-minute Fran and laid over in the corner feeling sorry for yourself for like the next five hours. So I don't know if you remember <laughs> that. But Oh, I remember that. Now I'll tell you, the, that was actually, that's one of my favorite stories. And I totally remember that. The, the, the bigger detail on that was I almost quit. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were like, no, 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 I'm done. And I believe it was Tony Budding. Yep. Who's like, no, you, you still like with a, basically with a rest in there, you still hit probably like a 230 Fran. It was, it was, it was 305, 305. Was the actual, 305, but I did take a very long break after the 21. So I, so I had never gone that hard. Like I was relative, I'm not new, but like that workout, Fran's so potent, you know that. Everyone who's yes. done it knows that like when you, when you underestimate it, it, it hands you your underestimation on a golden platter. Um, but like I did 21. 21 pull-ups, and that, those were not two hard things for me, but I didn't breathe on the thrusters. I just did 21 thrusters as hard and fast as I could. I'm like, what I, it can be, 15-9 afterwards? Got back to the 15, did one thruster, and then thought I was going to die. So I dropped the weight and sat on the ground and just looked at Tony and was like, hey, dude, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I can't do this. So I panicked, and he told me he'd never coach me again if I didn't get up and finish. So I waited like 35, 40 seconds, got up and finished. <laughs> Yeah, and still a faster time than most people will ever have when it comes to France. So, well done. You know, and Thanks. at the time, I mean, you were one of the originals being out in Santa Cruz. I know you had a volleyball background and kind of stumbled into CrossFit because you, your coach was implementing it. And then, did you think back then in 2006, 2007, that, you know, 15 years later, you know, this would be your full time job still? 100% no. I had no intention of. I had no intention of making this my career or anything like that. And no, I was talking to someone else recently and I don't think many of us like have the intention of it being like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do for my life. It's when you start young, you know, you think of it as like, I guess at the time, the idea of being a personal trainer wasn't something that I aspired to, or even had much of a care for. Like I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy gyms. I thought they were stupid. Um, and the idea of going to a gym and working there and getting paid to do so was so foreign to me. Uh, CrossFit as a program was the thing that changed my mind on all of that because it was so different than what I was I had ever seen before. Um, but the idea of even when I found CrossFit, I didn't I didn't have any sense that I wanted to be in the business. So I had no idea I'd be here. Who was your biggest influence, not just in getting into CrossFit, but then? You know, right now in 2019, 
You're one of the best coaches in the world. You're flow master on the most prestigious coaching crew out there. Who was one of your biggest influences in developing as a coach? I mean, I would say Mike Bergner. Um, I don't know if he knows this, but like he was the first guy, like the Olympic lifting guru, but like he was the first guy I ever saw coach who I really was like, oh my goodness, that's possible, you know, like to be that good. And like, I don't know if you've had the experience, but for me, like one of the first times I did it, I went down to his college. He was, or no, he was at a high school. I think it was a high school. It was a high school uh, weightlifting room that they had. And it was just platforms all around the whole room. And we were running a, a seminar there and he had like, you know, 20 people in a room and he was taking them through the snatch progression. And sorry, that's my baby in the background. <laughs> he's getting frustrated because he's uh, can't eat whatever egg Taz has given him. Um, but Taz, could you keep him just a little quieter? Maybe he's fine. He's fine. This is it's it's good to show the people the balance in your life. But yeah, talk okay. about Coach B. You should have seen the glare I just got from even mentioning it being quieter. So <laughs> yeah, I don't go ahead. The reason the barbers get divorced. <laughs> trust me like uh, th that 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 would not be possible we have a decent level of communication she just tells me i'm lame and i go you're right you're right that's a bad idea i apologize <laughs> um, so, so coach b so, you stumbled so coach b yep I'm, I'm seeing him coach this group of 20 people and he you know he has them all do one you know one thing he gets the snatch porch he's like all right we'll jump and land with the bar overhead he says that and then he goes around the room and I just see him stand in one spot. And he's like, okay, you keep your weight back in your heels longer. You uh, get a little bit more aggressive through the middle. You turn over a little faster. You do this. And he's like, just nailing it. Like one rep gave like seven cues. And I was like, what? How did, what? And like, my mind was just blown. And I was like, that's not possible. I will never be to that level. And, but he was the first inspiration that really took, made me take coaching seriously because he's so motivating. Like he makes you just go harder than you want to go. He makes you not go harder, but like he gets more out of you than you think you have. And he's just so technically sound, but it's all in a package. That's just kind of like nonchalant and uh, you know, good. Like he's effective. And that's, that, that was, I would say he's one of my biggest influences. Well, glad to hear that. I had him on a couple of weeks ago, so I wish I would have heard that to tell him, but I'll, I'll certainly relay the message, but I think, you know, it's important to note you were around Coach Glassman at the time. So it shows just how good Coach Bergner is, you know, that For even sure. side by side with, with Coach Glassman, you're recognizing him. And I think the other thing that the listeners should take from that is, I mean, meanwhile, you're an 18, 19 year old kid. Even back then, Coach Bergner was like 95, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> so, exactly. No, but he was probably, you know, 60, 62. And you're like, it wasn't about his performance. Nope. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I can't coach people because I'm not that good. Like, it was well past his prime, and you were still in awe and receptive to that. Because a lot of people get get that mixed up. Like, I have to be the best athlete to be the best coach, and it's not true at all. No, I mean, people care about what you can make them feel and do. You know, there's, I would say, having uh, an athletic capacity or looking a certain way, or you know, or or. Uh, being able to do certain things that other people can't, it 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 makes certain situations easier. So certain people that you have to deal with, you immediately have that 
that rapport with. They, I mean, they respect you inherently because of you know the way they view the world. But I would say to truly be effective, you need absolutely none of that. It just it just might be a little bit more difficult for you to deal with certain individuals who are bullheaded or stupid or have a, a misconception of what it means to be a, a good coach or an athlete. How, how would you recommend those? So somebody, you know, we coach level one just about every weekend, 40 to 50 new, you know, level one trainers getting out there. What's your advice for those guys that, all right, I'm coaching now, but there are athletes better than me, or maybe they were my peers in class with me last Friday. Now I'm coaching them on Monday. Yeah. So the idea is like, so you're saying like, you've got this, this guy who just becomes a co- new coach and they step into a class and now they have to coach him. Right. Yeah. And I think we both know, ideally there's a lot happening between you get your certificate and your coaching classes, but sometimes there's not. And even if there is, it's still intimidating. What's some advice you would give to newer coaches to get that confidence like you're talking about? Yeah, I would say just really connecting on a personal level before throwing out the, um, before throwing out the detailed coaching cues. So you don't come at every situation like, hey, I know everything, listen to me, because obviously you don't. So the confidence can't come from that side of things. What it can be is it can be a connection on a personal level, like, hey, I'm here with you. I want to get the best for you. Like, how's your family? How's your, man, I love the outfit that you have. Um, so connecting on that personal level first and then offering the pointers and stuff that are up to your ability level. So, you know, in all honesty, and you know this, like when you coach people, there's very little that differs from when you become a really good coach to when you first start. You're looking for the same stuff. And it's very little things. It's like a very few amount of things. You're looking at like weight and heels, knees driving out, full range motion, uh, midline stability throughout every movement, you know, good core to extremity, not violating that, and sound hip puncture. You know, like you're, you're, you're looking for that across every movement. Um, when you first learn, you have very few tools of, for dealing with those things. And I think as you ex- get more experience, you just get more tools for dealing with the same situation. So it's not like, it's not like people when they first start, know nothing. They know exactly the major things that are pop up 99% of the time. They just have few tools for dealing with it. So I would say, focus on developing your toolbox to build the confidence there. Get out there and coach, but connect on a personal level first because people will always respect that. If you connect on a personal level and, and they know that you have the best intention for them, you can offer up a bad cue and it doesn't work and, and there's no harm, no foul. Whereas if you just attack people with, I know what I'm talking about and it doesn't work, they'll be like, this guy sucks or gal. You know, almost all of the great coaches I've had on the podcast have basically said exactly what you've said, you know, keep it simple and care. And, you know, you're, Mm -hmm. you're really, I think you excel at that second one, everything you just talked about, you connect. I mean, you're, you've been doing this since you're a teenager and your ability to connect is unparalleled. But, oh, to thanks, the average, but to the average person, you know, what does that mean? And how can they develop that? Because it's a skill. So how, how can Total. someone that doesn't coach like you did full time, like maybe they're doing two or four hours a week, how can they get better at that connection piece? What are some things they can immediately implement? into their Yeah, life? I mean, that, that's something I've thought on a lot because it, it's, it's definitely a reality. And I think people vary on the spectrum with regards to their level of emotional intelligence. You know, what, what is their empathy levels? How well do they sense human emotion? You know, 
how well do they, you know, deal with people in an immediate setting without knowing them. And uh, I do think it boils down to emotional intelligence. Uh, and I think there's two things they can do right away to start uh, building that capacity. And I think one is reflect. So you need to post any interaction, reflect on how you impacted that interaction. So in order for you to do that, you have to pay attention. So you have to do something, pay attention to the response, and then assess whether or not that response was what you wanted or it wasn't what you wanted, and then assess how you could be different in the future. Um, that, that can be as simple as coaching and saying, hey, I threw out a cue and I watched the response and I kind of go from there. Or it can be the manner with which you speak to people. You introduce yourself, you, you go through like a handshake and you go, man, that handshake didn't pin out how I wanted it to. Let me reevaluate how I, I do that. But that reflection is, and that that's ability to look itself is a huge thing that never stops. It's like, it never stops happening. You constantly are reflecting on every interaction to become more and more efficient in the space. Um, that's kind of a more intangible tool because uh, it, it just takes you paying more attention to yourself. And some people are better or worse at it. I would say a very practical tool you can use is the Ford method of communication. Have you seen that? I may have, but I don't know that I've heard it referred to as that. How, what is that? So Ford stands for Family, Occupation, Recreation, and Dreams, F-O-R-D. And you basically, when getting a deeper level of communication with people or when trying to connect with them, if you talk about those things then and try to get out of them what those things are for them, they have a much deeper connection with you. So it's kind of like a checklist in your head. If you don't know what to do or how to do it, you just go in and you talk to people about family. Hey, you know, like, I saw you in here. I saw a guy the other day who looked like you. Do you happen to have a brother? You know, like, and no, you don't have a brother? Damn. Well, sister? Nope. None of those things? Only child, eh? I was an only child as well. Let's talk about being only children together. You know, like, whatever it is, you bring up family and you can kind of get some sort of a connection because people have that. So family, occupation. So what people do for a living, they do it all the time. They're either stoked on it or they have a lot of knowledge on it. So it's a pretty easy thing to, to converse on. Um, uh, recreations, what do people do for fun? Oftentimes it's CrossFit, but maybe they have other hobbies. It's good to know. And dreams. And it's like dreams are things that people aspire to be or have. And if you can somehow support their dreams, they will, they will really, really appreciate you. Um, a lot of people, especially in this day and age, are more practical about dreams. It's like, hey, I want to open up a hot dog stand. They're like, well, what's the financial viability of a hot dog stand? So <laughs> if you as their coach can come in and be like, dude, hot dogs are awesome. Power to you. Like get after that hot dog stand, um, people feel a lot more connected to you. So I think that those are some two practical tools that you can use uh, for just kind of building that rapport and that connection with people. Yeah, I think that's great. Ford, pretty easy to remember. And if you're coaching, try to maybe implement that with everybody in your class or everybody you interact with, and you'll they will certainly like you better. And that's a, that's the big first step, you know, showing people that you care. Your Heck your yes. life your life has changed since you know crossfit started for you you're no. married now you got three kids what is the key to balance in life when you know be it box owner and family be it uh, online business and family traveling what are some of the keys to success the barbers have found um so keys to success and keys to balance are kind of different for me um but maybe they're the same 
I think one of the keys to balance for me is finding somebody who naturally balances me out. So somebody who represents a lot of what I'm not. You know, we're very similar to Taz and I in a lot of ways, but she's also very different in how she deals with the world. And my inadequacies are oftentimes her strengths. So when we go through life and I'm slacking in certain areas uh, or ways of being, like she helps, she fills those holes, you know? And um, I would say that is a big key to us having the things that we want to have. Um, so I guess that's success, but it's also balance because we prioritize different things. She prioritizes, you know, things that I don't prioritize and I prioritize things that she doesn't prioritize. So it kind of helps maintain a bit of balance in our, in our lives. Um, we also have been incredibly lucky with how we've positioned ourselves. Like we were around right place, right time, uh, take, took advantage of good opportunities that we had. Um, we kind of lived a life that for us, we wanted to prioritize family and we've set ourselves up to maybe not earn as much money, but do whatever we want. So like, if we were to do different things, we could probably earn a lot more money. Or if we were to leverage our business in certain ways, we could earn a lot more money, but we don't because we, we really, really want to raise our kids through these, you know, first 10 years of their lives. So we, so where they're still looking for parental guidance and they're still looking for parental approval. And then once they get a little bit older, then maybe we'll spend more time away from them. Um, so that's part of it for us. I'd say the other thing too is communication. Uh, we're, we're really, really big on having everything out there. You know, there's, there's an ultimate level of vulnerability I have with my wife. I'm, I'm never unwilling to communicate with her. Like here's, someone phrased it for me really well recently. It's like, I don't, you don't seek out, like you're not confrontational, but you're not opposed to confrontation. You get it? So it's like, instead of being like constantly trying to confront people about, oh, this is what I believe, blah, blah, blah. That's not it, but it, you're not opposed, like you, you're not opposed to confrontation. Like you're willing to get in there and do it because you know the outcome on the other side is usually a better understanding of any given situation or any given person. Well, um, I think, and that's just speaks to who you are. You're very open-minded. And, yeah. you know, if somebody caught the beginning of this episode and they tuned out because they're like, I'm all for circumcision and that's the only way to be, cool. But I think, <laughs> you know, you and I would also be willing to have that discussion with someone and not take it personally and not get too emotionally invested. You're allowed to have yeah. your belief and I can have mine. But the people that Is don't it? want, the people that don't want that are the people that maybe some people actually like confrontation, but they're not actually open-minded. Right. And I think that that's where you see, you know, a lack of growth. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Are, and I think, go ahead. I was just going to say on either end of the spectrum, if you don't like confrontation or if you like confrontation, but you're not open-minded. Yeah. Like those are the two times where you like, you lack growth. Yeah. Maybe someone listening is have is pregnant and they, we convince them not to circumcise. Boom. Right there. You know, I'm there just upset because, you know, we talked and for the listeners, in case you are curious, I am circumcised and I'm concerned that I'm not getting everything I could be getting out of sex. They say, you know, all those sensory receptors are in the foreskin. So who knows? 
another another question I I have is, you know, you talked about kind of almost like creating this financial independence, if you will. Let's talk a little about warm up and workout. I've had a couple sure. other I've had a couple other people on. You know, James has been on, who's involved in Ham Plan, as as has Austin. Uh, MDV has been on for NC Fit Collective. Yeah. Um, you know, and and all of you guys do such great things. What what helps you guys stand apart in kind of a noisy world these days of programming? Uh, so for us, I think we have a pretty firm. I mean, everyone does. They the. We have a pretty firm belief structure on what we're trying to do. Like we're trying to follow uh, the CrossFit methodology as you know implemented in a CrossFit facility the way we've seen it really, really work over the last fourteen years. So I'd say what helps us stand apart is we're we're a little bit simpler than most in the sense that the actual program is very straightforward. Um, but what we are not simple in is the lesson plan because our belief is less on the program being the differing factor and more on the delivery of that program being the differing factor. So what we do is we back the coach up as hard as we can on basically setting them up for success via really, really detailed lesson plans. I make a video for every day of the week on how I'd approach it as a coach. Uh, people have full access to me. Um, and the, the problem I think with ours is it takes a lot of buy-in from the gyms that are following us. So it's not a plug and play. And the thing is, we don't want it to be a plug and play. We don't want a carbon copy of whatever's happening there. And I don't believe that gyms will ever succeed if that's their belief structure around running a facility. Um, what we do takes work. It takes investment from the people who own the gyms uh, to implement it in a way that fits their culture um, and makes it so their coaches buy into the overall program. So I, I can't truly speak to what the other guys do because I don't truly know, uh, but I know what we do. And I know that we, uh, we're pretty, pretty detailed with everything that we put out there. And, uh, and most of our education is on the coaching side of it. Like, what can we do to set the coach up for the most success so that they can go out there and really execute? Well, you know, it sounds to me like I hear a lot from the coaches, but also from box owners saying, how can I help develop my coaches? It sounds to me like right there is a good way to get to improve. You know, very few coaches are getting constant development. And, you know, and then they wonder why when they show up for their level two, they get such feedback or why they're not passing their level three. Sounds to me like this is a great opportunity for them to learn more and improve. And they and that's can always, exactly it. Yep. you know, on your website, they can check out a free two week sample, but yep. I've, I've made it very clear to the listeners. If I owned a box right now, I would be using someone else's programming like yours because the hardest part when I owned a box was just to create that synergy from the 5am class to the 7am to the noon to the evening and yep. having your coaches all learn and see the same types of things bring your own flavor to it. But now at least we're getting the same product out there to every class. Yeah. And I think here's a word of warning to any coaches who choose to outsource programming. Um, it's something that what I've been thinking on pretty deeply recently is uh, when you first start CrossFit and you generally do the program on your own, you either follow.com or you followed the program or you created your own program when you were a coach. That is. Um, 
The other option was you followed somebody's program who was like the other guy at the gym, you know, the gym owner, the guy who was there and he was programming, he was the person doing it or she was the person doing it. Um, so there was a certain level of trust inherently built into the back and forth of like, I know you, you're, you're doing a good program. I'm going to put my faith in it, right? I'm going to give my buy-in there. So as a coach, when I started coaching, say, Hollis's program that he was putting out there, I bought into Hollis. So when I was delivering the program, I had buy-in into that program because I knew Hollis. There's a certain level of uh, personal connection. Now, what's happening, I think, in this space is that because people are outsourcing programming to kind of a nebulous third party, uh, whether it's hand plan or trying for the win or the the call, it's like the end user doesn't necessarily buy in to the person who's doing it. And what happens is if you don't have a coach who's bought into the person who's doing it. So maybe the owner bought it, the coach has to deliver it. And now the end user has to uh, do it. When you have a coach who's like unsure of whether or not they buy in, then what can happen is maybe a member comes up and says, Hey, I don't agree with what we're doing. And the coach is really easy to go. It's really easy for them to be like, yeah, you know what? I don't get it either. You know, because they have this disassociation with they don't quite buy in. There's no face-to-face. There's no buy-in from that coach. That's a, there's no real other way to say it. So I would say that if you're going to outsource programming, you as the owner or a coach, a head coach or whatever it is, you have to get people on board, bought in to whoever's doing it or to, to however it's being done. You can't have them on the fence because if they're on the fence, and then that brings up, you know, it gets brought up in the community because people are always going to complain. Whether whatever program you're doing, they're always going to complain. Then there's no dissonance. There's no there's no separation of like, yeah, I also don't agree with it. There's no there's not a pause. They're like, oh well, let's talk about it. You know, let's let's have this conversation. And I think that's something that's happening now with third party programmers is it's almost creating a divide in these little like weird communities. So that's just a heads up of something that I've seen. Well. At least we know, you know, someone's buying into warm up and workout. It's not just your athletic, you know, background. You were, although the games only list you as showing up once. I believe you were there at least twice. I was at the games 2008, 9, 10, 11, 14, 15. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta go online because there's a, there's a typo there. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll sort it out. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> You were, you were there more than once. You're a high-level athlete, but you also have all this coaching experience behind you. I mean, you were involved the old school. You go in the videos, the original Santa Cruz box, Greg Amundsen, you know, Coach Glassman teaching those classes. You've been around for a very long time, and you've seen it all. So, agreed. you got to have that right buy-in, but there's not many people that are better to buy into. You know, with such a busy life and schedule, what is – become one thing you are better at saying no to? <sighs> Something that I've become better at saying no to. <clears throat> I mean, any sort of evening event, you know, anything that it's like, people are like, hey, let's go out in the evening. I'm just like, nah, man. <laughs> like, that's just not viable with my lifestyle. Like it doesn't work 
because you stay up too late. It doesn't work because I'm away from family. It just doesn't work in the general scheme of things. So I've become better at just being like, no, I can't do that. You like me here every weekend, you know, whether it's at a level one or level two, I want to do this. How do I become a red shirt? Now, yeah. you know, if someone's watching the video, it's like, all right, Pat's literally making potatoes, doing a podcast, getting yelled at by his wife. And then you're going to go away to, you know, you were at a meeting this week, if I'm correct, you know, at the, I was, yeah. You know, so then you're going to leave on Friday. Hey, hey, Taz, take care of the three kids. I'll be back. Type yeah, of thing. right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so what are some of the things people don't see when it comes to being on seminar staff? And, and again, no one's complaining. We love it. I think you talk to any trainer, we would do it for free. You know, we love showing up Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. But what are some of the things that people don't see that goes into making a, a red shirt? Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's an insane amount of work and feedback. And I think that maybe, I mean, you've talked to other red shirts on here, so I'm sure they've given the same thing. But like, it is a culture centered around feedback. I've been on staff since 2007. And every seminar I've ever worked, as well as you have, you get a laundry list of things that you could be better at afterwards. So you have to come to terms with, with, with getting tons and tons and tons of feedback. And, uh, and when you go through those like, you know, 20 to 30 year old years, 20 uh, all the way up, like it's not always easy to hear some of the things that are told to you, you know, like you work your butt off on certain components of, of how you present or how you carry yourself or how you interact with a team and then every weekend it just gets torn apart. So there's this breaking down of, uh, of everyone. And there's this acceptance of I'm going to get feedback. I'm going to get feedback every time. And I think that that's one of the things that people don't really see is like, it's not like these guys just got to where they were at. It's like every weekend we, we get that, that back and forth. I and mean, you have to accept it. So I, I think that's one of the big things that people don't see. Yeah, I think that's a, one of the best and worst part, not worst, but hardest, right? I, I totally remember one of my first seminars, Austin Maliolo sitting me down for my feedback, literally giving me, you know, 10 minutes of things that I need to do better, not wrong, but could do better. And I was like, did I do anything right? And he was like, you know, and he was like, I don't have a list of things you do right because I expect it. You're wearing a red shirt. (laughs) And, you know, and he's like, you're good. That's why you're here. You know, and granted, well, we, we Austin, he's got Austin. that way with words. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, granted, we both know that might be a little extreme, but it changed my outlook. I'm like, I am good. That's why I'm here. What can I do better? And if you're not willing to accept feedback, then you're not going to be a, a suitable member of the team and be willing to give feedback. 100%. And I think what, what's getting more and more developed is the delivery of that feedback, right? Um, and I think that that's something that I was in a weird world when I was coaching coaches you know I had 70 coaches in the Bay Area that we were coaching and you start to realize that people hear feedback totally differently Um, so depending on who they are you have to deliver it in a a different way Um, and I would say that that's something that that CrossFit as a company and the flow masters have had to learn over time and what you'll notice with the better flow masters or the more experienced flow masters is they have a unique delivery of that feedback to a way that you can hear it so you always walk away from the conversation being like, I see how I can improve. And it's not like you feel super great about yourself, but you go, okay, I get that. Whereas some people, when you leave them, you're like, huh, I wonder how they picked that apart. Or like, 
just and it was just in the way it was delivered. I mean, at the Flowmaster weekend, weekend, we we even got this or the, just just the other day of the meeting. The uh, one of the pieces of feedback, or no, it was someone was saying. It. I think it was Joe Alexander. He just, just like muttered it under his breath midway between one of his one of his funny things that he was saying on stage. But he was like, you know, you can say anything to anyone. It's just how you say it. Um, and I, I think that that's that's being developed and has been developed by the more experienced flows. Uh, to a point where people can hear things a lot easier. And that's, that's it. It's cool. It's well, I can tell you, and I'm sure you can, you would say the same. It's impacted the way, you know, I handle conflict, even in my marriage. So it's, it's made me a better person. All right. Yep. I know you're busy. Taz has like eight children strapped to her. So last question. Uh, <laughs> I always ask every, every guest, what's a book or, or more that you recommend everybody read? Um, I, I listen to audiobooks. Um, so first off, I'm going to say, if you haven't listened to the entire Harry Potter series, listen to the Harry Potter series. It's really good. Um, but a real book in terms of actually learning something from it rather than just a boy and his magical inheritance. Um, I would say the Charles Duhigg, the, uh, Power of Habit. Uh, Power of Habits, fantastic. But a one, if you're just in for like more fantastic information is why we sleep. I think Power of Habit made me reflect a lot on, on uh, just kind of why things happen the way they do and how can you unwire that. And then why we sleep is just a fantastic wealth of knowledge on <laughs> sleep. <laughs> I'll give you the punchline though. You should really be sleeping. Sleep a lot. Oh man. Uh, that's there was a guy on the Rogan podcast that Steve Haydock sent it to me. And it was basically like every weekend we are destroying ourselves sleeping in a hotel room. So, oh yeah? What was his gym? Just, you know, when you're not sleeping in your own bed and you're, you're, your body's kind of still naturally awake trying to protect itself, unsure of what's to come. But I'm sure a lot of the same stuff, you know, make sure sleep is vital. And yeah. people kind of take this pride in, I don't need a lot of sleep when, yeah, you do. Oh yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Other than warmupandworkout.com, where else can people find you? And where else can people learn more about Pat and Taz? You can find us at outsidethebox.fit. That's a garage gym program that we do. Um, so just kind of help people out in the garage. Um, we also have uh, the tribelife.family. Um, that that's your podcast? Our, that's our parenting podcast. Yeah, we have like an Instagram account. And we do a parenting podcast where selfishly we talk to other parents about you know, what's going on in their lives and what's going right, and what's going wrong. Because when you're parenting, you have, you have no idea what you're doing. Like, yeah, nobody has any idea. So the, the point is like, we all don't have, know what we're doing. Let's all chat about it. Let's see what you're doing and see if, <laughs> how I can take some of that. Um, and then just our Instagram account, Pat Barber CF or Tamarin Barber or Barber Tamarin, I believe is her Instagram account. Cool. I'll make sure I get the right ones and post them in the show notes, but Thank you very much. I enjoyed this entire conversation. I'll let you get back to, to parenting. Thank you very much, Jay, dog. Have a good rest of the day. You too, my man.
Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Take a moment, head over to the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Google or whatever you use and leave us a review. It really means a lot to us and it's what allows us to spread the word. Also, share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Tell everybody at the box to listen to Best Hour of Their Day and let us know what we can do to provide you a better experience? Do you have topics you want us to talk about? People you want us to interview? We are here for you, the community. We're here to give back and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Best Hour of Their Day.